was cooler. It got cold there. And when I say cold, I'm like at least down to the 60s, at least. <laughs> and uh, it was awesome. We'd go up there and you know, we just felt like it, like it was so cold there. You'd see people walking around in these big old heavy coats because, you know, it, it wasn't the usual uh, super hot and super humid. But I remember Dalaba with a lot of fond memories, and I remember the whole trip. I remember packing for it, and it was a super long drive, at least for a kid. It seemed like hours. I have no idea how long it actually was. And uh, I remember driving up to the complex where we stayed at. So there were some, some old missionary cabins that used to, used to be a missionary school, and so missionaries were allowed to, to rent them out. And so that's how we would do our vacations. And I could see the cabins on the side of the mountain, and we would get so excited, and we'd drive up to the place where we normally stayed. And I remember unpacking the car, and, and as soon as the car was unpacked, me and my sister would hike up, a little trail, and we would go play under the cinnamon tree. Now, if you're, if you're like me, you might not have known that cinnamon is actually comes from a tree, like a large tree. And so we would play under the cinnamon tree, and the smell of cinnamon was just overwhelming. It was so cool. I guess that's why they have cinnamon sticks. I never really thought about it. They're actually like little branches off of this this tree. And I also remember one of the highlights of that trip was Omar's cinnamon rolls. So we had a man named Omar who would come and he would help around the complex and he would make these wonderful cinnamon rolls. So every year, or close to every year, we would go to Dalaba. And, and I remember the whole experience as a family trip, a family holiday. And today we're going to look at a story in Scripture where Jesus takes uh, a similar, has a similar experience in that he goes on this family trip. He goes on a family trip that likely he went on every year with his family, and this time at the beginning of his ministry, he's going on with his, the, the disciples and the people that are following him. So we're going to start off reading in John 2, verse 13. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So when it was almost time for the Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Passover feast was one of three holidays in the Jewish faith that most anyone who could would travel to Jerusalem and they would go to the temple there. And so estimated population of Jerusalem around this time, we don't know exactly, but they estimate about 30,000. And, and scholars say that that population doubled and, and tripled and quadrupled. Some, some even say like five times that amount during the time of the Passover because all the Jews would come back to Jerusalem. And you would travel with your family, with your extended family, everyone went, and you would meet up with all your friends there, and it was just this huge celebration. Can you imagine the atmosphere in the Tri-Cities if in a course of a few weeks we quadrupled in size and we were hosting all these people who had come to celebrate here? Imagine all the food trucks, I'm sure there was a lot of food, and all the makeshift tents, all... The, the, the atmosphere was one of celebration as Jesus comes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And, and the climactic point of the Passover was when you went to the temple with your family. 
You went to the temple. The temple was the center of Israelite life. And at the time of Jesus here, King Herod had just rebuilt the temple and, and added to it. And it was this gorgeous, gorgeous building that had taken 46 years to rebuild. And it was a gathering place and it was a place of worship. And it was also, it also symbolized, um, their nationality, the Jewish identity. Cause here Rome had come and, and they were under Romish, Roman rule, and yet the Jews were still allowed to have the temple. And this was part of being Jewish, was that you went to the temple and you celebrated the Passover. And the Jewish people had this beautiful history with the temple. In the Old Testament, as God chooses the Israelites to be his people, to bless all nations through them, he says that, I want to come dwell with you. I want to live among you. I want my presence to be among you. And so you see, you, you see in the Old Testament, as they were nomads still in the desert, that they had the tabernacle. And then when they settled in Canaan, they built the temple. And so it was this beautiful, beautiful history that the Jews had that they that God wanted to be with them in the temple. Technology. I keep hearing myself. I love it. (laughs) So, it was very likely that every year Jesus went on this enormous family trip back to Jerusalem, and that he'd done this most of his life back to the temple to celebrate the Passover feast. And so I imagine, like, when I went to Dalaba, I knew what was going to happen, all the things I wanted to do. I can imagine the people going with Jesus having those same things in mind. And yet this time, things go drastically different than they normally do. So let's continue reading. John 2, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables, exchanging money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So this was not your typical Passover, not your typical trip to the temple in Jerusalem. See, normally when they would go, people would go in and they would exchange their their Roman money for the shekel, which is the money that they used um, in the temple, and they would and they would give their contribution to the temple, and then they would buy the animals that they would um, sacrifice there at the at the temple. But this time, when Jesus goes in, he's angry and he's frustrated. And he, he turns the tables over of the money changers and he forms this little whip, probably out of like some straw or hay and shoes all the animals out of the temple. And he basically puts a stop to everything that's happening there. Because without people exchanging the money and without people buying the, the animals, everything just kind of comes to a standstill. So why was Jesus, why did Jesus react this way? Why was this time so different? 
And it kind of, the answer lies in the purpose of the temple. It goes back to why the temple was there, that God had said, I want to be with you, I want to dwell among you, and my presence will be there, and this is how you access me. That the Israelites would come to the temple and access God through prayer and through sacrifices. And though the money changers and the animals were needed for part of that, the location they had set up inside the temple. They had set up not outside of the temple, but inside of the temple. So it's kind of... it's a little easier to understand when we look at a little diagram. And this is just a little diagram in the back of my Bible. You probably have a similar one where you can see the different courts in the temple. And there was a lot of regulations um, about the temple, who could go where. And you see the Gentile court. It's probably one of the, the largest court, and it's on the outside. That's where I would go if I were, since I'm not Jewish, I would, I would need to be in the Gentile court. And then as the courts progressively go in, um, the, it's a little more restricted in the very center, in the inner courts, that's where you would have the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark was, the Ark of the Covenant was at at one point, and that's where the presence of God was said to be at. And, um, and, and the Holy of Holies had this curtain around it to kind of separate it from the rest. And there was a lot of very specific instructions that only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he could only do that once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so as Jesus comes in, there would be a lot of other people with him, probably like a huge crowd, and a lot of them would be Gentiles. A lot of them would be people who weren't Jewish, and they could only be in the court of the Gentiles. They couldn't go any further in to the temple. And yet when he walks into this place that is intended to be a place of prayer and a place of worship, What does he see there in the court of the Gentiles? He sees the animals and the money changers and a marketplace. And so Jesus is frustrated that this place that is supposed to help people access the presence of God has been turned into something different. It was also very likely that there is corruption going on in how much these animals cost, and, and as the money was exchanged um, in Matthew 21, there's another account of Jesus clearing the temple, and he says, it is written, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. So not only were, were they preventing the prayer and worship that needed to happen there by placing a marketplace there, They were also taking advantage of people coming in. And so why is Jesus so frustrated? Why is he angry here? And I think the answer is beautiful. It's because Jesus is passionate about people accessing God. He is passionate about everyone having access to God. When I was thinking about this this week, about open access to God, I couldn't help but think of a movie I recently saw. Um, we went on a trip, and on the airplane, I saw a movie called Hidden Figures. 
A lot of you probably have seen it. It came out a year or two ago, but I had never seen it. And, and it was a really good movie, and I'll try not to ruin it for you. Totally worth seeing. But the premise of the movie, it's a, it's a true story, um, telling the story of these brilliant African-American women in the 50s and 60s who were working at NASA. And their contributions to NASA. And during this time, the U.S. was racing with Russia to get a man up in space. And so it was a big deal. And, um, and yet it was also in the 50s and 60s of time of segregation and of time of overt racism. And so these women who were brilliant um, had a lot of obstacles in their way. And they had a lot of problems that they had to overcome and there's this one woman specifically, the character's name is Catherine, and at one point in the movie, she's moved to this elite group whose job is to calculate um, the, the numbers for launch um, to, get, to get this astronaut into space. And what's interesting, what's fascinating about the story is they really need her. She thinks outside of the box. They need, they need her, and yet they don't want her there because of... Of, of just the, the culture at the time, the segregation. And her direct supervisor at one point is ready to give her all the information she needs to do her job. And he takes a, a marker and he blots out all the key information that he deems is classified that she shouldn't know because he says that she doesn't have the clearance. She says, you don't have access to this information. And so do your job without it. And here's a clip about from this movie. Orbital flight. That's classified information. It's top secret. Well, it's no secret why the redstone tests keep failing. Numbers don't lie. When you figured all that out with this, after that is redacted. Well, what's there tells the story if you read between the lines. You did the math. Yes, sir. And how do you know about the Atlas rocket? That's not math. That data's not here, like you said. It's classified. I held it up to the light. You held it up to the light? Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, there it is. Atlas. What's her name? Catherine Goldberg. Were you a spy, Catherine? Am I what? I said you're a Russian spy. No, sir. I'm not Russian. <laughs> She's not Russian, sir. I, I love that clip. I love that clip for, for many reasons. Not only is she brilliant when it comes to math, she's also got a lot of common sense. And, <laughs> so what's interesting about this movie and what's interesting about this story is that um, often we put obstacles in people's way. And, and here at the temple, it was supposed to be a place of worship and a place of prayer, a place where all nations could come and access God. And yet there were these obstacles that the leaders were allowing or putting in people's way. And Jesus comes in and he essentially disrupts what is happening and he puts a stop to it. And, and in many ways, I, I feel like he's naming the elephant in the room and everyone just stops and looks at him. So let's read how the Jews responded. 
starting in verse 18. And the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had said. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So Jesus comes in. And he disrupts things, and he shoes the animals out, and he he overturns the tables. And what's interesting is that there's security at the temple. There's people stationed to make sure that um, people stay in the right courts, that they don't access the wrong place. There's also a Roman guard station right outside of the temple that if there's a disruption that the Romans would come in. And what's interesting to me is he doesn't get kicked out. He, the security doesn't stop him. Because sometimes when we visualize Jesus, you know, clearing out the temple, we, at least I in the past have pictured like this, this rage, this, you know, just emotional like fit. And that's not what's happening here. Because that wouldn't have been allowed. He wouldn't have been allowed to stay. What's interesting is the Jews who are in charge here, the Jewish leaders, come to him and say, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Notice there's no mention of them denying what he says. Um, There's also, um, it's just so interesting that they ask, well, tell us why you have the authority to do this. And I imagine people just turning and watching, waiting for a response from him, waiting to see what he says. And um, his response is a bit cryptic for those listening, and it's kind of hard for the Jews to understand. It's also hard for his disciples to understand. In verse 19, he answers them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Now, the rebuilding of the temple had just been completed. It was this beautiful building, and it had taken 46 years. And so people didn't quite understand what he was meaning by that. And yet John kind of gives a little commentary. John, um, in the next verse, says he was referring to his body, that he was the temple. And so we ask, well, why is Jesus all of a sudden then talking about his body and him being the temple? And I think that there's a great significance in um, the, the temple and the Passover, the cultural significance of those things at this time. You see, the temple was sacred. You know, it had the Holy of Holies. It was where the mercy seat was, where traditionally the presence of God appeared. And this is where people encountered God. This is where people accessed God and found forgiveness and atonement. And then the Passover feast was like one of the big culminating feasts. And it was a celebration of the freedom and the liberation from slavery. And everyone came to Jerusalem. And central to all that, central to the Passover, was the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. And in the story of the Exodus, you you may or may not be familiar with it, the, the Israelites are 
in slavery and God is bringing them out. And as God does that, the Israelites are instructed to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over their doors. And then the angel of the Lord will pass over them and they will be spared in the judgment that came upon Egypt. So the Passover lamb represented God providing a way for his people to be saved. And in John 1, the chapter right before this, uh, in verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this, there's a lot of little pieces here. I'm going to try to bring it all together here. Um, but this is a beginning of Jesus's ministry, and he's trying he, to initiate a shift to help people understand the shift that is taking place. A shift from the physical temple being the place where we encounter God to um, the presence of God being in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. A shift from the continual need to sacrifice animals at the temple to, for atonement and forgiveness to Jesus being the final Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice that makes people right with God and that opens up access to God. Because Jesus is passionate about God, about people having open access to God, about people knowing the presence of God. And this is just a theme in John. In John 1, um, John, John says that Jesus is a word became flesh, that God dwelled, came to dwell among us to make God known to us and to remove the barriers between God and humanity. Um, at the end of Jesus' life when he dies, there's this really special and significant thing that happens. In Matthew 27, verses um, 50 and 51, it says this, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. From top to bottom. So the Holy of Holies... The place where the presence of God was that was super restricted as far as access goes. Only the high priest once a year and they had to do all the things right leading up to it. Um, when Jesus died, when the ultimate Passover lamb was sacrificed, then a divine hand just rips that curtain from top to bottom. And that signifies the access granted to all people to approach God differently. Hebrews 4, um, one of my favorite verses. I have a lot of verses, but one of my favorites is verse 16. We'll start in verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And then down to verse 16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may have mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the shift that Jesus is bringing in is saying we can approach God. God is accessible. 
God wants us to approach him. And I love in this verse, it has the phrases in our time of need and needing mercy and grace with the, the word confidence that we can approach confidently, even though we need him. I love that. It's this posture of invitation. It's this posture of open access to God. And so I find this story really interesting and I find it to have great implications for my life and, and for the life of the church as well, for the life of Jesus' followers. You know, as ambassadors of Jesus, we're to reflect the postures of Jesus. We're to reflect Jesus. And so his posture here of open invitation and open access to God, that is the posture that Jesus' followers are, are called to take. Um, sometimes I've experienced... Um, Christians and churches take a more defensive posture. It's almost like they're the guards. It's almost like we have to make sure to protect Jesus and protect the, the presence of God that nothing, you know, nothing comes at it. And, and that's really not the posture of Jesus. Jesus says, you know, let's, let's tear the curtain. God is here and God is powerful and God is big enough. Let's approach God. And we don't have to, we can help lead people to God, but we don't have to like set those barriers. We don't have to protect him in some, in some way. In his life, Jesus said several things uh, pertaining to this. He said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Not all the perfect ones, but all of, all of you who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. Um, he was walking down the street and there was a blind man calling out to him, have mercy on me, son of David. And people were shushing the blind man. And Jesus says, no, 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 let the blind man come and let me heal him. There was, he encountered leopards, lepers, and, and lepers were unclean at the time. And people couldn't touch him. And Jesus went to the leper and he touched the leper and he healed him. So the posture of Jesus is one of invitation and open access to God. Last week, Micah spoke on the year of believing, which is our theme for 2019. And, and it's, uh, believing is a journey. Belief is a journey. And it's a journey in which belief and unbelief can coexist together, in which we want to create a space to ask questions and, and to wrestle with complex things. And in this year of believing, I think it's really important for us as a church to take on this posture of Jesus, knowing that we can confidently approach the throne of God knowing that God himself became our Passover lamb and that we have open access to God. We can find mercy and grace in our time of need. So, so as we think about this today, how do we do that? How do we live in the way of Jesus? How do we live with this open posture, this invitation? And I think... Um, it may look slightly different in all our lives, but there's some truths that probably relate to, to a lot of us. If, if you're new to following Jesus, or if you're not even sure um, if, if you've committed to following Jesus yet, um, I want to say that the invitation is out there, that it's open access to God, to the Creator God, and it's an invitation that's given freely 
It's not something you have to earn. It's not something that you have to be good enough for, that you have to figure all of this out first and then come to Jesus. You know, the invitation is out there, and it's and there's open access to God. So we invite you to, to seek that and, and to ask questions about that. If you're a Jesus follower and you've committed um, your life to Jesus already, know that the invitation is still out there. Because it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing where we decide to follow Jesus. Um, it's a continual invitation. And it's a continual act of surrender to God, asking questions like, am I leaning into God? Am I tapping into the strength that God provides? Am I tapping into the hope and the peace and the wisdom that he is offering? Am I accepting his invitation on a daily for some of us hourly, some of us every moment, <laughs> we need to accept that invitation. And if you're a Jesus follower, it's also good to ask yourself and myself included, um, am I a good access point for other people? So I'm not super techie. I think I already demonstrated that with the microphone issues this morning, but I'm not super techie. But an access point in the wireless um, internet connection world is a station that transmits and receives da- data. So like if you want to have a wireless network, you have to have some sort of access point so that users can like tap in and information can be shared. And asking, are, are we, am I an access point for others to see God? So is my faith my own and it's hidden and it's just right here and I don't want to talk to anyone about it? Or am I open with that? Again, taking on the posture of Jesus means that we're, we're open access points where people can ask questions and we can say, I don't know, but let's, let's go together. Let's go together and, and, and search for answers. So ambassadors, as ambassadors of Jesus, we are to allow others to see our faith and to, to, to talk about our beliefs and, and also our doubts and our questions and our convictions, but to live out our faith in the open. And then as a church, so we do this as individuals, but then as a church, we um, want to be a community that reflects this invitation and reflects this open access posture of Jesus. You know, it's important for us to realize, even as we go into this year of believing, that we don't produce belief in people. You can't just tell someone what to believe and then they believe it. Like, that's just not how it works. And that's not our job. Rather, as a church, what we want to do is to create a safe space for people to encounter God. We want to create a space where people can come into the presence of God. And it is when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter God, that God develops belief in us. And he gives us hope and he gives us peace. We are committed this year to be a place of worship and to be a place of prayer, also to be a place of community and a place of conversation, a place where we have our hands out in open invitation and say, if you want to encounter God, then we'll go there with you. And who knows what will happen. <laughs> you know, God is pretty, pretty amazing, and God transforms us and others, um, but it's an open invitation. It's an open invitation to come into the presence of God. So this week, as we leave here, 
I would encourage all of us to think about our postures, uh, to think about how we, we have conversation with people, if we have conversation with people, um, but that, that God is seen in us and that God is seen through us and that we are simply to be access points for God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for the, the final Passover lamb, Lord, that makes us right with you. Lord, we thank you for the torn curtain that took away some of the regulations, Lord, and that allows us to have full access to you. God, I pray that you would teach us to accept that invitation on a daily basis or a continual basis that we would come to you and that we would allow your spirit to work in us and to transform us into the people that you want us to be. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, may we access the living God in our lives. May we accept the invitation to be in his presence. May we be an access point for others all around us that they might see God through us. And may our encounters with God and with others deepen our belief and our faith in Jesus. Have a great week.